I, I am excited about this morning. If you couldn't tell, I actually couldn't stay off the platform this morning. I am uh, looking forward to jumping into the book of Colossians together uh, over the next 10 or so weeks. We're going to walk right through the book of Colossians. I, I, that, that video is short. It's really, you know, very short, but really does a fantastic job of reminding us what the book of Colossians is all about. It's, it's not just focusing on, on the trees that are above the ground. I think for all of us, right, we, we love to look out in our yard, especially this time of year, as the buds start to come forward. Of course, with the buds comes this awesome byproduct called pollen. So I'm sure you're all with me. I'm, yep. It's going to be interesting. We'll see what happens. But um, when you see the buds coming and the, the flowers starting to bloom and, 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 and just all these wonderful things starting to grow and be born in your yard, it's fascinating and amazing to watch and to witness. But many times for those of us who are not exactly green thumbers, we forget that it's about what's in the ground that makes the tree grow. We, we tend to, and, and, and man, I'm telling you right now, I'm looking at my trees and thinking, okay, that those are some almost healthy trees, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to prune the tree. Well, that's part of it, but if I don't pay any attention to what's happening below the ground, then someday my neighbor's going to wake up with my tree on their house. Nobody's ever had that happen, have they? Well, good, praise the Lord, but with as windy as it's been, you never know. So I, what I want, notice, just want to make an announcement, you guys noticed, didn't you? <laughs> I switched to an open beverage cup this week. Those of you who haven't been here, I've had a little difficulty with bottles of water lately. I keep forgetting to take the lid off. Problem solved. So, <laughs> um, so, so what we want to do is we walk through the book of Colossians. What we're going to do is we're going we're to look at what Paul is saying to this church. And, and really, he's, he's not just paying attention to the tree. See, our churches today, and, and, and preachers, and I'm one of those creatures, we tend to focus on the fruit. We tend to drive hard at the, the health of the externals and we forget to go deep into the roots, to nourish the roots, which is what causes the tree to actually flourish, grow, and survive. And what Paul is doing for this church in Colossae is just that. He's saying, we're going to look at the roots. And, and, and this morning, the particular root that I want to dive into is called grace. Grace. See, I don't think many of us understand what grace even is. So, so I'm going to do something just a little different just to kind of loosen you up a little bit. Have you, have you talked to your families or whoever's sitting around you and, and come up with your own definition of grace? Okay? You ready? Talk amongst yourselves. All right. So after you Googled it, What, what, give, somebody shout out a definition of grace. Undeserved favor. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's even alliterated for those of you keeping score at home. Anybody else? My sister's name. You know what? I'm going to be honest with you. This is kind of a little behind the curtains peak. Whenever I preach about grace and I say grace over it. Sorry, grace. I didn't grace you. But I say it over and over again. I always think those poor girls in here are like, oh, for crying out loud. Just stop talking. And, but, but at least I say nice things about grace. So, you know. I'm the, the idea of grace is different than mercy. Here, here's a, let me contrast it maybe to help us understand grace a little bit better, okay? Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. That's Mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. 
And what, what we're going to look at this morning is just that. We're going to dive into the root of grace, getting what I don't deserve. It's, it's God's riches being given to me at the expense of Christ's death on the cross. Undeserved. So the first two verses, let's just, I'm going to do this in three different chunks. Here's the first two verses, starting in verse 1, Colossians chapter 1, it says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by God's will in Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So, so before we jump in, just to give you a little historical context of what's happening in the world at this time. This is, this is happening during the Roman Empire. This is, this is not a 40-year a, you know, empire. This thing's around for hundreds and hundreds of years. And as a result, there's, there's a lot of different um, positive consequences to the Roman Empire. Not the least of which is, is this culture that is existing and, and is, is advancing so fast that they're seeing technology just explode around every corner. And one of the greatest, I'll call it technology, but one of the greatest technological advances of their time were the Roman roads. As crazy as it sounds, in 312 BC, um, that they built their first road. You fast forward now to, to about the second century AD, and now there's 50,000 miles of Roman roads that are in existence. And, and you've heard the phrase, all roads lead to Rome, because that was their design. Rome being the capital city of the empire, they would build the roads out from there. And there was roads made it possible for them to, to navigate around the empire like never before. So now they were able to go into neighboring towns and towns that were afar off. And so people are carrying about with them their, their businesses, their cultures, their families, they were bringing their foods with them. So from one region to another region, now you have foods that are crossing regions, and they were bringing with them their different religions. And what the Roman roads did was it, it, it shrunk the world, much like the internet has done for you and I. It shrunk the world. I mean, think about this. I'm sitting in my home on Friday night, and um. We all knew something was going to happen on the other side of the world in the area of Syria, right? We all were expecting something. And at 10 o'clock, I'm watching the news and pictures of an event that happened on the other side of the world less than an hour before. And, and that's abnormal. That's, I sat there, I'm like, why don't we have live shots? Right? That's the world we live in now. The world has been so shrunk by technology. Similarly, the Romans were go or the, 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 those living in Colossae, the Colossians, were going through similar experience. Their, their historical context was one where the, the world was shrinking and now they were being exposed to belief systems, cultures that were very different than anything they'd experienced before. And so you get, in particular here with the, the Colossian church, that the neighbors of the average person who lived in Colossae weren't, were no longer the natives to that land, but they're a massive um, combination of people. It's a melting pot of people that they had never before experienced or seen. And so as you read through the book of Colossians, as you read through an introduction to the book of Colossians, uh, many commentators will say they believe that there is a, um, a certain type of heresy or false teaching that's happening in and around this church that Paul is dealing with as he walks through this book. And, and, and I'm going to say that that's very likely, particularly when you get to chapter 2, it's very possible that there's a specific strain of heresy and false teaching that is finding its way into the Colossian church. However, I also believe that it could simply be um, what we experience in America today as Christians. 
a hodgepodge of religious experience, beliefs, and ideologies that kind of get grouped together. And without knowing it, and some of us knowing it, we, we embrace all of those different pieces and angles of religion and incorporate it into our own following of Christ, and we've created our own false teaching. Now, now, now let, me, let me be very clear. Here's a great picture of it, of the syncretism that happens, is when you're driving on the street and you're behind a car that has a coexist bumper sticker. That's a picture of what I'm talking about. You take that bumper sticker and you've got pictures of Christianity and Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism and naturalism and atheism all bumped together into this image. And that is the highest good. That's the ideal in American religiosity. It's let's coexist. Let's um, be tolerant of all. Let's, let's all merge this together. And unfortunately, in many of our own lives, and I'm not even going to say our churches talking about them. I'm talking about here. In many of our own lives, what has happened is either knowingly or unknowingly, we've embraced things that aren't of Christ. And so what's occurred is it's, no, Jesus is still my main guy. But my neighbor believes this. And, and you know what? That, he's got a good family life. He seems happy. Maybe I'll just take a little of that and add it too. And here's the problem. In Christ, we have perfection. When you add anything to perfection, it ceases to be perfect. And that's the issue I believe that's happening in the, the church of Colossae. And that's what we're going to jump into as we um, go through the next few weeks together. So let's look at verse 3. Paul says this, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You've already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing, talking about the gospel, it is bearing fruit and it's growing all over the world just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. So, so a couple things about the, 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 the Colossians. Um, you need to understand, and this is actually kind of something that we're not used to, as you read through the New Testament, and you see the letters that Paul has written, oftentimes he's writing to churches that he started himself. This church, the Colossian church, Paul didn't start this one. Paul's writing the book of Colossians from jail. Years earlier, at some point in Ephesus, Paul would be preaching, and, and this fellow, Epaphras, showed up, heard the preaching of the gospel that Paul was doing. He received Jesus Christ. He was so in love with home that he went back home and started a church. And that church is the Colossian church. So Paul, Paul never actually met these people. And yet the preaching of the gospel was seen in the way they responded, or the, the, the truth of the gospel was seen in the way they responded to the preaching of the gospel. So he talks about, I, I've heard Epaphras came back to Paul and gave a report about his church. He's like, Paul, man, I know you've seen like all kinds of churches, but you're not going to believe my home church. These are a people who are marked by faith and love for all the saints. That's a good thing to be marked by, right? It's a good thing to have somebody bragging about, right? So here's the important part. Let me, let me do two things. First, whenever Paul brags about a church, he doesn't say, thank you, you guys are awesome. He always says, thank God for these people. I thank God for your faith and for your love. So, so that's important to understand. And so now allow me to do this. I thank God for you. 
We had the opportunity, a number of us this week, to travel a little bit and, 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 and do something. This was a great time, a lot of fun with other believers. Preach, sing, listen to music, watch college students just like let the, the, the stress of their semester melt away as we just had a great time together in God's Word. And as I stood there and spoke to them, the thing that came to mind is what we were doing is what we do here every Sunday. We were just taking the, the church on the road and being able to stand there and think about it like, man, you know what? I love preaching in our church. You know why? Because you're responsive not to me. You're responsive to the, 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 the wooing that God does in your heart as he points to Christ. You're responsive to the working of the Holy Spirit in your life as, as God continues to chisel away the edges on all of us. And so I thank God for you. Paul thanks God for the Colossian church because of their faith, the fact that when they heard the preaching of the gospel, they were all in. It was about Jesus and nothing else. And, and the evidence that their faith was about Jesus and nothing else was what he says next about them in verse four. Their love for all the saints. Um, okay, I'm not going to make you all shout a name because that would be really embarrassing. But when I say love for all, all the saints. Okay, now I'm hoping I just set it up in such a way that there was one particular saint that came to mind. A little difficult to love. May need counseling. You know what an evidence of belief in Jesus Christ is? Your service of that individual. Yes, there are some people who require extra grace. But when you understand how much grace you required, you can't help but love all the saints. This church, this Colossian church, loved all the saints in such a way that it, it, it didn't uh, discriminate in, in, in financial capacity. It didn't discriminate in an age capacity. It, it didn't uh, discriminate in a gender capacity. It certainly didn't discriminate in an ethnic capacity because, again, they're in the melting pot. All these people are traveling around the empire. Now they have an opportunity to love people of different ethnicities as they have come to know Jesus. And this, this passion flows out of them. This faith flows out of them. And it's anchored in, verse 5, the hope reserved for them in heaven. Their love for all the saints is anchored in the understanding, not the hope like, boy, I can't, I really hope it's going to happen. I sure hope the Capitals win tonight. Not my hockey fans, huh? All right. Noted. I sure hope my cupcakes turn out well. There's cupcake fans, right? All right, good. It's not this, this wild hope that's just optimistic. This hope reserved for you in heaven is this confident expectation that the faithful God who has proven himself faithful, perfect, and true before is going to continue to keep his word moving forward and forever and ever and ever. The reason this, this Colossian church loved the saints so well is, they, is, is because they understood that whenever the saints gathered, it was just rehearsal for heaven. You know that, right? Gathering together on Sunday mornings is, is rehearsal for heaven. And, and, and you know what that means? That means there will be people of, of every demographic in that place, every tribe, tongue, nation. There will be people in that area who, who really like hymns and people who really don't like hymns. But you know what? It's heaven. I don't care what I sing. My face is going to be melted off by the glory of God, and I'm going to love every second of it. How about you? 
So when we come together on Sunday mornings, you know what we should do? We should enjoy, and, and, and then please understand this, and I, if you're a guest with us, understand this as well, that this is not a response to any complaints that are coming. That's another thing I thank God about Uniontown for. There, there's a diversity of, of preference that's exhibited among this people group that I enjoy beyond belief. So this isn't a response to complaints. This is just reality. There are Sunday mornings where even I, yes, even I, stand there and like, I don't like this song at all. But I can look around and I can see the face of someone who is, who's hearing the truth of the words. And I can thank my God that in that moment, they're practicing. And that someday soon, we're going to sing like crazy. And somehow it's going to sound good. So the Colossian church has is, is, is been affected by the gospel in this way. But it's not just the Colossian church. I love verse 6. I love how Paul just kind of drives home the truth again to these people just to remind them you're not in this alone. It's bearing fruit, talking about the gospel. It is bearing fruit and it's growing all over the world. Think about that for a minute. The gospel good news message that Jesus Christ came to save sinners and that, that he, he, he willingly laid down his life to defeat sin. And then he was put in a tomb where he rose again and he defeated sin, death, and the grave forever. That message of the gospel good news is going throughout all the world and there are just fruits popping up all over the place. See, see I think we are so myopic, particularly as westernized Americans, we completely miss this until we get out of our comfort zone and go to a place that we're very uncomfortable in and we get to see the fact that the gospel is true in North Korea too. The gospel is true in mainland China. The gospel is true in Iraq and in Syria, in Peru, in the jungles. Wherever you go, the gospel is true and it's being effective wherever it is preached. Not because we have amazing preachers in those areas, but because we have an amazing God who promised it would be true. Back, way back, Genesis chapter 12, my glory is going to flood this place. And you and I have the privilege of being a part of it and being able to see it happen in today's day. Global effect of the gospel is unending. Okay, I should probably get to my message now, huh? You think I'm kidding. <laughs> Verse 9, let's read in the verse 9 through 14. This amazing prayer of Paul. <laughs> For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom, spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great confidence, or sorry, great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He's rescued us from the domain of darkness. He's transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That, that's a mouthful, huh? I mean, just the very beginning when Paul says, since the day we heard about you, when, when, when Epaphras came back and bragged about your faith and love and your confidence and the hope, and since we heard that, we haven't stopped praying for you. That, that right there, I mean, that's, that's a... Um, I have my 
Actually, it's on this. I have my uh, PerMate app that I've talked to you about a couple of times, and I, I use it regularly, and I am constantly reminded when I go back through, after I haven't been on it for a little while, of the people who I said I would pray for who I have somehow ceased to pray for. Paul says, we have not stopped praying for you. And, and then he gives us the content of his prayer. He says, we have been praying and we had not ceased to pray for you. We're asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will. So this is one of those basic Bible study methods. You ready? If, if, if God's word ever says to you, stop, blah, blah, you know what that means? Well, it means stop. Yes, that's very good. Parents, way to go. Good job, boy. <laughs> Do you know what that means? It means stop, mommy. Okay, good. It means stop. It also infers this. You're doing. So here when Paul says, I am praying that you are filled with the knowledge of his will. The implication is this. Right now you're not filled. You're missing it. You're lacking in it. And, and, and then actually, this is an easy application to our day today. Our, our modern Christianity is based mostly, and you hear me out when I go through this, is based mostly on a conversion experience. Most often, that conversion experience happening when we were a child, and there's little to no transformation that happens after that. That's modern Christianity. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Yes, I committed my life to him when I was 12. But that's where it ends. And, and what Paul is saying is, no, 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 I, I'm praying that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will. Being filled. I, I, I'm, so let's, let's be clear. Filled is a big word. Filled carries a lot of different nuances with it. It's a simple word, but it's huge. And, and let's be clear. Some of us, when we hear the word filled in church, we get a little nervous. People are going to start dancing on the chairs, Right? But, but let's take it at its most basic face value. To be filled is, and, and I, I'm sorry, and, and, and don't, I'm not going to ask you to forgive me because this is the same word, but be filled is to be intoxicated. It's, it's to be drunk with. And, 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 and though you, Lord willing, have never experienced that yourself, you most certainly have seen other people who are operating under the influence of alcohol who are intoxicated by it or drunk with it. And, and it's easy to make the application carry over. It's, they are under the total control of something else. It's no longer them in their right mind and their right logic. Now they're, now they're the ones dancing on the chairs with a lampshade on their head or something. But when you are filled with the knowledge of God, it means every part of the knowledge of God is taking complete control of who you are. Every decision you make, every word you speak, every action you do or don't do, it's all flowing out of being controlled by the knowledge of God's will. But let me throw a caution out there. The, the end-all, be-all, and, and, and Paul's certainly not saying this is where we should stop. If we were to stop there, man, I am going to be filled. I want to be controlled by the knowledge of God's will. I'm going to dive into it so I can understand everything that he's, he's saying with all wisdom, with, with all spiritual understanding. I'm just going to jump right into that, and I'm going to learn it all. Well, if you stop there and just learn it all, and it never changes the way you live, you're doing it wrong. There, there's a, it's an old, uh, it's easy, but it's complicated. It's, it's theology. The study of theology doesn't terminate on itself. The study of theology must always lead to doxology, which is the act of worship. 
When you study the knowledge of God's will, when you pour yourself into it and allow him to, 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 to speak to you through his word, as you pray to him, as you empty yourself out to him and ask him to fill you full and to control every act that you do, if you're just diving into it so you can understand the nuances, even, even here in this passage, so you can understand the very nuances of, of what verse 9 means. What does it mean to be filled with the knowledge of his will? Does that mean we, we, we need to figure out how to make decisions? What socks do I wear today? What's God's will for my life? Do I marry her or do I not marry her? Like it's ever up to the guy, just saying. I've been to college too. I've seen how it works. Okay. Does it mean the knowledge of his will to, to understand his eternal purpose and salvation? Does it understand, does it mean I need to understand the, the, the way that God saves his people? It doesn't matter. All three of those things could be right, but when you are pouring yourself into and, and, and asking God to fill you full with his knowledge, if it doesn't lead you to falling on your face, you're doing it wrong. You've missed the point. It's become an academic issue for you, and, I, and I'm afraid to say that, that most, um, I don't know what word to use, what adjective to use, I'll, I'll say conservative, even though even that's falling on hard times now, but, but most conservative churches today, in, in, in an effort to stick to the truth of God's word, what they have done is they've landed in academics. And it's, let me teach you, let me teach you, let me teach you, let me teach you, and it never affects their heart. And if that's the case, man, we, we, have, we have missed. And what, what Paul is going to do through the book of Colossians, he's going to say, okay, what I want you to understand is as we go deep into the roots and as we expose those roots and as we, we nurture those roots, as we manure those roots, as we water those roots, as we prune the tree, that the fruit is going to explode, but you cannot ignore the roots and you cannot ignore the fruit. Both of them have to be there or you don't have a healthy organism. So, so let me, this is going to disappoint some of you, but I think, I think I have a way to explain it to you coming up. When you are filled with the knowledge of God's will, it should lead you to this, this place where your life is like this healthy crop of fruit that's just bursting off the trees. And, and the way that Paul describes it is in verse 10. That is what it looks like to walk worthy of the Lord. And he adds a modifier to it, which is crazy. Not only do you walk worthy of the Lord, but you are fully pleasing to him. I don't know about you, but sometimes those infomercials can grab my attention. Let me tell you how in three easy payments of $19.99, you can have all your hair grow back. Oh. oh. As long as nobody else is in the room, people in the room are like, oh, that's just crazy. I'm happy. I'm good. Just good. But when somebody lays out something like this, I want you to walk worthy. I want you to walk in a way that is fully pleasing to God. Does that get your attention? Like, oh, what does that look like? What does that look like? Because, come on, let's be honest. Every single one of us walks around with the weight of guilt on our shoulders, feeling like we're never good enough to fully please God. So, so this, this may be disappointing, but, but bear with me. I'm going to run through verses 10 and 11, even the beginning of 12, and I'm going to tell you this. The entire book of Colossians is what unpacks verses 10, 11, and 12. So, so he starts, says, let's be fully pleasing to him. And what does that look like? The first one is we bear fruit in every good work. So as we look through Colossians, it tells us how to be a good husband, a good wife, a good mama, a good daddy, a good employee, a good boss. It tells you how to, to live a life where the fruit is just exploding out of your life. And that we can't help but think about Galatians, right, with the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, uh, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, gentleness, 
But we need to understand that, that it's not like we can just stand there. This is a dumb picture, but maybe it helps. I think in dumb pictures. <laughs> if I'm a tree, okay, and I want to have fruit, there is no amount of effort that I can push to get fruit. It's not like, ping, yes! I got one! Now the fruit has to be developed in you. The fruit of the Spirit needs to be developed in you. The fruit of the Spirit needs to, to grow from within you as the Spirit continues to control you. Remember being filled by the Spirit. As you're being filled, controlled, driven by the Spirit and the, that wells up within you, the fruit begins to be produced on the limbs. So as we walk through Colossians, we're going to see how that we bear fruit in every good work. And then he, he continues not only bearing <clears throat> excuse me, fruit in every good work, but growing in the knowledge of God. Man, if you can't see how Paul is trying to get the Colossian church to grow in the knowledge of God, you haven't read Colossians yet. In fact, next week we get to jump into one of the coolest sections of Scripture talking about Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, everything created by him in heaven and earth. And I should stop there because I can get carried away. The, the picture is, I want you to, to, to grow in the knowledge of God. I want you to understand who Jesus is and what he did for you to, to redeem you and to bring you back into right standing with God. Jesus, the creator, the sustainer, the, 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 the invisible image or the image of the invisible God, the son of God, the one who came to heal us from our sin wound. And again, I'm getting way ahead of myself, but as you walk through Colossians, when he says, I want you to understand, to, to bear fruit in every good work and grow in the knowledge of God, that's where he's going, folks. That's where we're going as we walk through Colossians. Verse 11, he, he continues, says, I want you to be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. I, I like the fact he throws a purpose in there. The reason I want you to be strengthened isn't just so that you look like a Mr. USA and can flex. I want you to be strengthened so that you, so, so that, and I just lost my place. <laughs> I mean, thanks before that. So that you may have great endurance and patience. So, so let's talk about that for a second. Endurance. What is endurance? Endurance is dealing with situations. So as you look through Colossians, you see the picture of the, the pressures of the world closing in on the people, the syncretism, the, the false teaching, and the focus on wrong things. And Paul says, I want you to be able to navigate that with great endurance. So I'm praying that you're strengthened for endurance. I'm praying that you're strengthened for patience. So if endurance is dealing with situations, patience is dealing with people. Paul talks specifically about that. So talking about dealing with your kids, dealing with your spouse, your employees, your employers. Talks about being gracious in forgiveness towards one another. That's where he's going. Let me, um, I got time. I got time. I'm going to throw a little side note here for you. If Paul, under the inspiration of God, is writing and praying that you would be strengthened and that you would have endurance and patience, does that not imply that you're going to have situations and people who you're going to need to employ endurance and patience with? So there is one place where this false gospel that has been so well received in our country, in our communities, in our church, where it falls down. God never promised freedom from difficult situations or difficult people. What he said is, I will give you the strength to be able to put up with that 
difficult situation and that saint. All right, the next one he talks about, I want you to walk worthy, I want you to please him. So you bear fruit in every good work, you grow in the knowledge of God, you're strengthened for endurance and patience. But the last one is to joyfully give thanks to the Father. I mean, when we go through the rest of Colossians, you can't help but see that joyful thankfulness that just flows from these people as they come to an understanding of what it is that God's done for them. But, but I'm going to tell you this, and this is, this is why I did that. Uh, it kind of is a, a precursor for where we're going, kind of an introduction to the book of Colossians. And, and, and in the last 10 minutes, um, we're going to land, and I think you're going to understand what it is that Paul's trying to do with the roots and grace with these people in Colossae. You cannot walk worthy and please God by bearing fruit, growing in his knowledge, being strengthened, and being joyful in your thanksgiving without a proper understanding of the grace that God has shown to you. You can't. You, you, you cannot move on from point zero to point 100 without taking that step in point one. And that very first step is understanding grace and how God enacted grace in your life. And so, so I love this. Actually, Andy Whitfield preached on these verses about a year ago, probably. And, and, and it was funny. He was all excited about the passage. And I started reading. I'm like, that is an awesome passage. And so I'm not going to add a ton to, to what he said. I'll, I'll just kind of hit a couple things. But, but if you look at verse 12, he says, I want you to uh, give thanks to the Father. Look at this. Who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. God has enabled you. God has another word that's used there in some translations. He has qualified you. That's not grace. I don't know what is. I'm able, as a sinful, wicked man, to approach the God of holiness with confidence. That means I can talk to him, I can know that he's going to hear me. I can know that he's going to listen to me. And I can know he's not going to destroy me, even though I deserve to be destroyed. Because what he's done is qualified me. He's enabled me. Let me, let me paint a picture for you. So years ago, <laughs> um, this is a long time ago. This is like 22 years ago now. Um, so, and I, I, won't, I won't get obnoxious about the Boston Bruins like I do the Patriots. Because obviously none of you are hockey fans. Um, but I, I love the Boston Bruins. My wife and I lived in the Philadelphia area. And for my birthday, my wife was like, you know, I'm, she decided she was going to try to get tickets to see the Bruins when they came into town to play the Flyers. And um, I, this is all on, I didn't know any of this. And so she was working at the time. This is there's a little bitterness in my soul. I got to fix it. She was working at the time as, um, well, um, her position changed the whole time she was there. But she worked at a very... Um, prestigious country club, golf club. I like to golf. She got me in once. It was 34 degrees and snowing. <laughs> but I'm not bitter at all. Anyway, they, they were a gracious people. I mean, the, the, the folks that she worked with were incredibly kind and generous. I mean, really generous. So, but they were also very well connected. Um, and so when Stephanie got the idea of getting tickets for the Flyers-Bruins game, she had talked to her manager, Ray, right? It was Ray. Uh, how about that? I remember his name. I can't remember any of your names, but I remember him from 22 years ago. <laughs> like, uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, she had talked to him and said, hey, this is my idea. And he's like, oh, and she's like, do, do you have any connections? Can I... 
that I can get buy some tickets. And he's like, oh, yeah, no problem. And so maybe a week later, she came to work, and there was an envelope on her desk. And he's like, oh, you took care of that. And she's like, oh, awesome, okay. So she opened it up to get the price off him. And when she opened him, she was like, um, um, we, we, we can't pay for these. Um, this is not what we were asking for. Um, and so she was in this really uncomfortable situation and trying to figure it out. And he actually played it up, I think. He was like, what? I'm just kidding. Don't worry. They gave them to us. Like, really? So we, we were given this gift. We were in club box suite, right? That is not a floor I'm usually allowed on in the stadiums. Um, and so here's the best part. We have the tickets, and we go to the door. And, and I'll be honest with you, when I was younger, I may or may not have tried to get into one of those places without the right ticket. It never worked. But what works is if you go to the outside and climb up over the fence when nobody's there. But I'm just like, okay. <laughs> just, Lord, forgive me. People. Um, but we, we, we got to the door, and it's like, as you get to the door, there's still that feeling like, we don't belong here. All right. Um, oh, ticket, please. Half thinking it's a joke, and they're like counterfeit ones or something, and they're like, all right, come on in. Food everywhere. Awesome seats. I got food poisoning before I got there, so I only lasted through like half the game. That's a whole other story. You know you live in Philadelphia when you're being sick on the way home from a game, and you're leaning over the bridge, and people are driving by yelling, jump! <laughs> so... Home sweet home, eh? <laughs> but because of those tickets, we were qualified, enabled to go into that club box suite. Because of my wife's position at that country club, though it was 34 and snowing, her dad and I were allowed, enabled, qualified to go onto this golf course we neither of us belonged on. Actually, it was worse. The golf course wasn't so bad. It was the locker room. Because it was a frost delay, go figure, in that weather. I mean, come on. And so we had to wait. We went into the locker room, and it's this, the, like the nicest furniture I've ever seen. People are all dressed up. I've got my Walmart golf shoes on, and the guy's like, give me your shoes. I'll clean them for you. Uh-uh. <laughs> no, no. We're good. We're good. Thanks. And, and we're waiting, and there's TVs and big recliners, and we're like, hey, and this is great. My father-in-law and I were like six-year-olds. We're hiding around the corner from people like, can you believe this? And then people would walk by, we're like, <laughs> I didn't feel like I belonged there. But because of the relationship I had with my wife, I was qualified and enabled to go into that place. And I'm a sinner. I prove that every day of my life. But because God has qualified me through Jesus Christ, I can enter into his presence. Because God's taken the initiative in my life to bring me into his presence. I come through the blood of Jesus Christ. Not my own ability. Not my own merit. I come knowing I'll be accepted. Not because of anything I've done. Not because of anything I've not done. I can't be clean enough to get into God's presence. Please hear that. I think, I think the, the crazy thing for us today is that most people are willing to lean on the, I hope I'm going to be okay and get into God's presence. Most people in our culture today are, are willing to lean on that off chance that maybe I've been good enough or at least I've been better than that person. Maybe then I'll get in. Man, you know what should terrify you? It shouldn't, the most terrifying thing isn't that, 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 that God is going to judge wickedness. 
The most terrifying thing is that compared to God's holiness, he sees my best things, my best righteousnesses as putrid medical waste. But I'm willing to go on the off chance. I could, yeah, no, see, I've been qualified and enabled by God. And if you've trusted in Jesus to save your soul, not from the pit of hell, but to save your soul, delivering you into the presence of God, then he's qualified and enabled you as well. That's grace. None of us deserve that. But not only has he enabled us, not only has he qualified us, but it it says he has rescued us from the domain of darkness. I mean, that's an incredible mental picture. I mean, just picture the the exodus for a minute, if you would. You've got the children of Israel all jammed up in Egypt, and the Pharaoh's keeping them there, and he refuses to let them go. And finally, the cry of the people is is out, and it, it finds its way to the ear of God. They're like, save us, rescue us. So after being held captive by an evil ruler, God sends his servant into their presence and leads them away from the evil captor of Pharaoh. And led into freedom. See, God's come for us to rescue us. And if you've cried out, he's heard your cry. And Jesus came to rescue you. And you're no longer being held a hostage. That's grace. He's qualified you, enabled you. He's, he's rescued you. He's transferred you into the kingdom of the son he loves. Think about that for a moment. Not only did he come into the dark country, into the dark place, and and pull you out of that, and then just release you. He didn't do that. He pulled you out of darkness, and he brought you home. He brought you home. He's rescued you. He's transferred you into the kingdom of his son. Verse 14, in him we have redemption. (laughs) You want to talk grace. That's grace. That's a a financial, legal transaction. Jesus' life for yours. He's redeemed you. Jesus' blood for your freedom. He purchased your freedom. Not only did he do that, the forgiveness of sins. (coughs) Excuse me, he's forgiven you. And in that forgiveness, it, it means pardon from the penalty of sin, release from the guilt and shame of sin. It's both looking at the past and recognizing that that he has forgiven me for all that and now I can live free knowing that I don't carry the guilt and the shame of all that past into my future. So we we have sin that we've been forgiven. You have sin that's been forgiven. And if you're in Christ, every sin has been forgiven. Even that one. Because while we had a healthy number of us go, amen, I am so thankful for that because that's grace. I don't deserve that forgiveness. He has given it to me, undeserved, that's grace. While a healthy chunk of us are like, amen, every sin of mine is forgiven. There is still a significant chunk of us in this room who know and love Jesus Christ, who sit here and go, except for that one. Every sin has been forgiven through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Live in freedom. 
Live in freedom knowing that as you stand before God, it's not your righteousness or your sinlessness that gives you an audience. It's Christ's righteousness and Christ's sinlessness that gives you an audience with God. His perfection. You know what you bring to the table? Someone who needs to be perfected. Praise God, that's who Jesus came from. Grace has brought you home. Grace has rescued you. Grace has purchased your pardon. Grace has provided a forgiveness of sins. You're victorious. You're loved. You're accepted. You're redeemed. You're worthy. You're forgiven. And you are undeserving of it all. And that's grace. And so as Paul gets ready to unpack all of these different things about how to walk worthy, how to live a life that's pleasing to God, what he focuses on first is the root of grace. And he says, water that root, understand that root, pour into that root, allow it to wash over you so that you can live in the freedom that grace offers. Now, now listen, let's, let's just be clear as I close here. There's a lot of people who are sitting here and you're like, yeah, that, that's uh, too good to be true, you know? I mean, I... <laughs> probably don't believe in purgatory and yet somehow you believe that you aren't qualified for heaven. In Jesus, you don't pay for your sins. Jesus did. Grace says you're qualified. Through the death of Jesus in your place and by faith alone, God rejoices over you as his child. When in God's presence, as you come into his presence, as, as unqualified as you may feel, in the midst of what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross, as you come into God's presence, God looks at you and cries out, Mine! He's mine! Come on in! I have a song I'd like to sing for you. That's grace not because of what's been done by you, but because of what's been done for you. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the way you speak through it. I thank you for your spirit and his leading and his direction in my own life. I thank you, Father, for the way that you are convicting me even now as I continue to move my mouth. Lord, I thank you that that you are looking for those who are available and willing to lean on Jesus. And so, Father, I ask for that person who is sitting here even today, who has never leaned into Christ, who continues to think that they're going to lean on their own goodness and own righteousness to, to come into your presence and somehow satisfy your wrath. Lord, rebuke their hearts right now. Help them to see that there's no way they can stand before you. God, instead, I pray that they would lean into the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone. As as hard as it is to understand, it's so very simple. And we just complicate it. And we create a lot of problems for ourselves when we complicate it. So Lord, instead, I ask that you would give us the faith of a child to jump into your arms and allow you to carry us into your presence, forgiven, redeemed, rescued and qualified. God, I ask that you would open our eyes even now as we close out singing. Overwhelm our hearts and our spirits with what we have in Jesus. It's in his perfect name I pray. Amen.